You're listening to Out of the Box Podcast with Rosie Tran. Guys, don't forget to go on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher and click on the subscribe button and leave a positive comment. Positive comments are the number one way for people to find out about the podcast. I am here today with a very special guest. He's executive producer, creator, and narrator for the new podcast, Sicario Effect. How are the you, Sicario Jonathan? Effect. The Sicario Effect. Sorry. How are you, Jonathan Bernstein? Hi, Rosie. How are you? Good. I'm so excited to talk about your new podcast, which is kind of serial style, right? So it's like a story podcast, not just, you know, your average everyday chatting with guests. Yeah, it's more narrative based. It is. It started out. So you want to hear the story? How yes. How did, so first of all, Jonathan is a comedy and talent <laughs> manager in Hollywood. I don't know how you ended up, inter, you know, doing this story about someone who was a Pablo Escobar. He was Pablo, Pablo Escobar's chief assassin. Okay. So this is very interesting. So, Okay. I'll just back up for a second. So I've known Rosie for a long time, and uh, I'm just very happy to be here today. Um, yeah, uh, I wanted to do something in the podcast world. We have this studio that we built. And um, so for like the last two years, um, I've been looking at uh, – sorry. Uh, <laughs> I took the headphones off. Um, I've been looking at um, – what we could do in that space, I was trying to figure out, you know, let's just start out. So we, we kind of built it not knowing what to do. And then Ernie, uh, who I partnered with, we started recording a whole bunch of podcasts. For like a year, I kind of watched that as it as it evolved and learned a lot about podcasting. I, you know, uh, I travel a lot. That's something that I love. And a lot of people had said to me, you do. You've traveled to some crazy places. I've seen some photography mm. that you've taken in the middle of the African desert. Yeah, in the Sahara Desert. <laughs> in the Sahara Desert. You've been to Timbuktu. I've been to Timbuktu. You've been all over the world. That's one of your passions. And actually, one of our mutual friends who's been a guest on my podcast twice, Yoshi Obayashi. Yeah, Yoshi. You, you guys bonded over your love of travel, although he travels a little bit differently than you do. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, Yoshi, uh, well, also how he pays for his travel is slightly different, too. <laughs> Uh, I don't get medical testing. I don't. Am I allowed to say that? I hope I uh, didn't uh, ex- expose anything. You I didn't shouldn't. expose anything. Yoshi's very honest on the podcast. Yeah. Um, but uh, no. But the 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 thing is, I so people have been saying to me, "You need to do a podcast. You need to do a podcast." Now, here's the, for full disclosure: I, I represent a, you know a bunch of comedians, and um, I've been around some pretty big podcasts. I didn't want to take a, a podcast and just have it be like hey uh, it's a couple of comedians I know and we're chatting and there's a lot of that out there um, I certainly didn't need to add to that so but I had this incredibly unoriginal idea that was <laughs> I thought oh I'm just gonna chat a conversation with interesting people because I'm so fascinating <laughs> Which is so f- I'm, I'm such an idiot, you know, to think that oh yeah, I, I can add my voice to the to the uh, to the discussion. But um, I I, I kind of you know I try not to be too self-deprecating, but I but I did think it wasn't that original. But I wanted to do something, and I I knew it would involve talking to somebody and having a conversation. That said, I am a fan of narco culture. It's been something that I've been like interested in for a long time. Okay, uh, you probably didn't know that about me. I didn't know that about you. You know, uh, I I went to this. Uh, well, I you know, in the last few years, you've had Narcos and all these other shows. I knew about Pablo Escobar, but and I also knew because in college I read this book by Mark Bowden, who wrote Black Hawk Down. Mm-hmm. He wrote uh, Killing Pablo, which is a great book. Anyway, I talk about it in the podcast. And um, I had heard about this guy called John Jairo Velasquez Vasquez, alias Popeye, the notorious Medellin Sicario. That, in, in Spanish, Sicario means assassin. And that's why the podcast is named after him, The Sicario Effect. Yes. Um, it's, it's, so, so what had happened was, in 2014, he got out of jail. And... I was kind of obsessed with this because it was like I've said this, and again, I I, I I shouldn't say everything that I say in the podcast, but I will. In this case, it was the equivalent of like Timothy McVeigh getting out of jail, <laughs> okay, and then becoming a YouTube star. Uh, so John Jairo John Jairo Velasquez Vasquez, alias Popeye, he got out of prison in 2014, and he after serving 23 years in jail. And he became. That's, that's the only amount of time he got for all the assassinations, or they couldn't pin him on more. Well, or Pablo was responsible. It's complicated. No, he was responsible. I mean, this guy was responsible. He was the chief Sicario. Um, he ran the Department of Executions, essentially. And what um, had happened was. 23 he, years sounds like a really short amount of time for the amount of assassinations. Yeah, I'm sure that he. It, it is. He was given some time off 
because he testified in a number of cases, um, which actually helped uh, put away uh, a big senator in Colombia, which helped put uh, a number of – he shed light to some very important investigations that without him, they couldn't have gotten certain convictions. The most important uh, investigation – which he testified for, um, was one that he was also in, in convicted of, was the killing of a guy called Luis Carlos Galan. That guy was the equivalent of, like, John F. Kennedy. Mm -hmm. He was, like, like um, the... He was a, a presidential candidate um, in uh, 1989. Sorry, I want to get my facts right. Um, he was running for president, and he was assassinated. And it was, it was a big deal when he was assassinated. It, I mean, literally, this was the hope of Colombia. This guy was the guy that everybody pinned their, their dreams to. You know, he was, he, was, he was a very charismatic politician. And he, he, was, he had formed a, a, his own political party, which had, you know, the previous five years had risen up and really become strong and showed people that, like, wow, this guy is someone to be reckoned with. And he was assassinated. It was August, uh, August 20th. August 20th, 1989. What was his connection to the cartel? Well, he was one of the, uh, so as a presidential candidate, he, he, um, he was very much against the, the cartels. He was very much... Uh, he wanted to clean up Colombia. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. you know. And, and what he wanted to do was he wanted to... Um, uh, he was for extradition. And that was the biggest thing that uh, if, if a lot of your listeners know Narcos or have watched these shows, they'll know that one thing that Pablo was scared of was extradition. So this guy, going back to Popeye, he um, testified in the investigation into the assassination of Luis Carlos Galan and kind of exposed the whole thing, how it happened, all those involved, and it convicted a number of people. Um, he so he got a little plea deal on the side, twenty three yeah, years. He, 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 now, here's the crazy thing: he's admitted to killing three hundred people personally, oh my gosh. personally, Awful. and being responsible for the deaths of over three thousand. Mm -hmm. So the thing about him is, um, it's it's honestly like it, it, I, w I was fascinated by the fact that they let the guy out, kind of like you. I'm I'm I, I'm not showing the same like oh my god after twenty three years because now I've you know I've, I've been living with this, but. I can tell you, when he got out, I was just kind of fascinated, like, what's this guy going to do? And I watched him, and then he immediately, immediately took to social media and became, and just, and just like overnight, I mean, relatively overnight, like became huge. So, so what social media platforms is he on? YouTube, he has over 650,000 followers. Is he talking about murder and drugs? Oh, everything, yeah. Um, he calls himself Popeye the Repentant. And <laughs> okay. The, the crazy thing about it is, I think he consults. It sounds like he consulted a publicist, and he's like, "How can I make some income?" He's, he's very savvy. <laughs> I've thought about that. I have this own theory in the back of my head, and and uh, well, I'll just say this: Colombia is weird because when I did like all this crazy research, and one of the things we found was that in Colombia, the if you look at the list in the globally of all the biggest YouTube followers, okay, uh, sorry, YouTube uh, accounts or, or YouTubers. Yeah, um, the United in States, Colombia only. No, in the in the whole, in the world. whole world. Okay. This is what the, the, this was a crazy number out of the top 100 YouTubers across the globe. I th I wanted to say I, it's forgive me. It's been a little while, so I this might not be exact, but I believe it was something like 23 of them of that list of 100 people. The top YouTubers across the world were Colombian. Oh my god, I'm Think in the wrong business. That. That's close to 25 percent. <laughs> No, but, 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 and how many people are on YouTube? How many millions or billions of people are on YouTube? Well, for, it's, not, it's not how many people, but these are the biggest users of YouTube. The biggest, uh, you know, YouTubers. Uh, uh, I don't YouTube know how you, accounts or yeah, YouTube like, like personalities? People, who, people, personalities who Got post it. stuff, who, you know, uh, and and so who have the most followers in that order. It was like a, 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 like the top 100 um, accounts. That's and, what I'm saying. So how many billions of people are on YouTube? How many views are they getting? I have a friend that, you know, has a moderate following, pretty big following, but moderate. And I know, you know, he's making just $10,000 a month just on ads. So yeah. I'm, I can yeah, imagine, yeah. you know, the income that's coming in. Oh, yeah. I mean, Popeye has, he's gotten a YouTube award when he had over, the first time he got over, I think it was 100,000 followers. They give you this big, like, silver award. Yeah. He's got, the, he's got like six of them. And, um, you know, to give you an idea, right, I looked at, this is, this is a while ago, when I first started looking at Popeye. And I looked at, at that time, how- it, it, Are his stories in Spanish or- yeah, he's all in yeah. Spanish. Yeah, but I but I looked at that time. How many uh, followers of uh, how many followers Popeye had? And at that time, this is around two thousand seven, like early two thousand seventeen, when I first started thinking about him. And 
he had at that time, I want to say it was like 490, 480 maybe. Mm-hmm. I, can't, I can't remember the exact number. So when I, uh, to give you an idea, just a comparison, at that time I also compared it to, you know, Vice Media? Yes. So I, I, I looked at Vice. I just went to their YouTube account. They're pretty, you know, mainstream alternative. Sure, they're huge. I mean, but but like to give you an idea, right? Just to give you an idea. At that point, Vice had, I want to say it was like, it was over 2 million followers. Mm -hmm. But but think about that though for a second. That's Vice, a, well, it's valued at like $5 billion company, whatever. (laughs) Uh, with, with, with tons of offices and people and a huge infrastructure and staff. Okay? And then Popeye with his iPhone. And with Popeye <laughs> had 500,000 followers. And so it, it, it says a lot. You can, you can unpack that in a lot of different ways. But, but the point being, I was stunned when I saw that. And I got, but more so than just his followers and all that, it was the stuff that he was talking about. And I was like, whoa, this is – like we – I, I, literally – for like a year, I couldn't get my head around it. And that was the thing for me where I was like, this, this guy, it's like we would never let someone like him out of jail. It just, it just, I mean, come on. Can you see it happening here? <laughs> not someone who's who, like this. Absolutely not. Uh, it, just, it just would not happen. And Well, he sounds like a very charismatic guy if he is getting all of this oh, social yeah. media attention. Well, there's, it's, this is two things. And this is where it goes to, which is so – one of the things the podcast was about is the effect that he's had on the world. And and not just Medellin, but the world around him too. Because I think there's a I'm not trying to get too whatever here, but um narcoculture is something that really interests me. And narcoculture is a really big thing. It takes on a lot of forms. It's 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 um but it's it's you know, if you go to let's say downtown LA where you'll see T-shirts of Pablo Escobar being sold. You'll see T-shirts of El Chapo, hats yeah. with El Chapo's picture on it. And and you know these guys, these 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 kind of bad guys are always in the news. And and you had shows like Narcos. There's another show that uh, Netflix made called El Patron del Mal, which I don't know if you ever saw that. It's 74 episodes. Oh my gosh! Uh, it's all about Pablo Escobar. It's literally from birth to death. And it's um it was made by this company called Caracol. And Caracol is important because. They do a lot of stuff involving narcos. Well, Netflix picked up El Patron del Mal, which is where I saw it. And um, when Popeye was in jail, okay, uh, the last few years of his, of, his, of his time in prison, he wrote – he started writing a book. So the book came out basically not long after he got out of jail. It's called uh, t- uh, 23, uh, 23 Years in the Prison, my, my Life in the Prison, Popeye, you know. And um, what uh, Caracol did was they had done El Patron de la, which was a huge TV series. They optioned the rights to his book, and they turned it into a 69-episode television show, which is, like, it's a lot. to. I mean, that's just, you know, in this country, when when a network or a company makes a TV show, we're used to them making a season of, like, 12 episodes. They make 10 episodes, (laughs) 12 episodes. They're like, we'll see how this does. We'll see how this does. So 69 episodes is quite a commitment. Well, think about, think about like think about Mr. Robot. I love Mr. Robot. That's a show that I love. You get twelve episodes. And I'm like, damn it, come on. So like, I'm talk like, about binge watching, right? Yeah. So, but 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 like, El Patron del Mal. Like, I remember like it came on. and I was like, oh okay. And I started thinking right when it's right when it was announced. I started thinking about like it kind of hit me like because I've been thinking about like, who do I want to talk to if I were to do a podcast. And I was just like, these guys will remember. The, 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 I'm referring to the guys outside the door here in the studio here. <laughs> They'll, they'll tell you, like, I came in the very next day and was like, I, this guy right here, that's who I want to do. So long story short, I reached out to him. We managed to get in touch, and it took a little while, but he eventually agreed to, uh, to do this. And, and you went down to Columbia. Yeah, I went to Medellin. I sat down with him. It was a very intense, uh, almost six hours uh, of an interview. Um, and the way we did the podcast, podcast is about 20 episodes, and we – we stretch it out, not where I think it's uh, stretched out because we just wanted to make episodes because the, there was a lot there. Also, I had a translator who um, we had to do some editing because otherwise having me say the question and the in English, and then him Popeye, translate it yeah. to Spanish, then Popeye <laughs> translate it. It's just, it, you know, so, so you know, it, it took a long time. But we, we, uh, we also interviewed other people too because, I you know, I didn't know – even even when I got there, I, I was like, well, I still didn't know what this thing was going to be. I was like, we're just going to interview. I had my questions. I was focused <laughs> on that and that component of it. 
And then I knew that also through the help of some other people, I was going to interview a few people down there, and I was like, this this can be interesting. Okay, let's talk about you going down to Columbia. First of all, before that, you said you reached out to him, and he decided to do it. Does he have an email? I mean, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> Did the, you have to go through your – I mean, like, no, 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 this, this is, is cra- like just – can you just DM him? What's, what's going on here? <laughs> so I uh, – and I, I mentioned this in the podcast as well. Um, I, I reached out to him on um, – on, uh, was it Instagram or Twitter at that time? I can't remember. I think it was Twitter. But anyway, I, I wanted to buy a book. And, I, and, and in, there was somewhere I found an email address. So I'm like, all right, let's just write to this guy. <laughs> I write. I said, I want to buy the book. Okay, cool. They send me. Uh, I get an email. Oh, I get an email back saying, send us your phone number used on WhatsApp. You know what WhatsApp is? Yes, right? I do. But I'm, I'm. Uh, so <laughs> I send him the phone raising number. an eyebrow. <laughs> I, I send him the phone number. He sends me the. Uh, I'm waiting for someone to show up at your door with a gun to your head and be like, let me <laughs> confirm that you actually want to buy a book. Or something. Yeah. Well. <laughs> I actually, yeah. If you listen to the podcast, you'll hear it. Send where me I, your number. Oh, I, I talk about that whole. So, so, but this was the weirdest thing. They send me directions, like instructions. Okay, do this exactly. Uh, like I said, the, the instructions were were go to send this amount of money to Western Union. Um, once you get the tracking number, let us know. Okay. Okay. I did. I'm like, and they gave me a name of a guy. And I went to the. Uh, I, I have not been to Western Union, so uh, I, I in my lifetime I had been. It had been many years since I had been to Western <laughs> Union, so I didn't even know. What I found out was there was a Western Union at Ralph's, uh, the supermarket, <laughs> not far from here. So I, I for I'll tell you a funny story. I you remember Matt who used to work here? Um, he's one of the producers on the podcast. I almost was gonna. Say, I almost said to Matt. He, uh, do me a favor. I need uh, this. Um, just uh, send this. I uh, just go to Western Union and send this. And uh, of course, he would have had to sign his name and everything. And then I was like, No, that's like, too oh, mean. Oh, it's gonna go to the cartel. What's gonna happen? I'm just thinking, like, better, better use Matt's name. No, I, di- I didn't. Allow- it wasn't. Is it? Well, first of all, before you continue, was it because his book wasn't readily published in this Correct. country? No, in, in America, you couldn't buy it. Got it. Okay. Now I think you can, but then you couldn't. Because I'm like, I'm like, weren't you suspicious? Like, okay, I don't know, sending this money on the internet. What? You, you have to realize, I. This was the thing, though. I wasn't worried about losing the money. I, I thought to myself, it wasn't a lot. If it, yeah, exactly. I thought, well, if I lose the money, fine, whatever. It, it's I just wanted to be able to talk to the guy. So, I, like I said, I, I went to Western Union. I sent the money. I came back, and then uh, the next thing I know, I I texted them. Uh, not text them. I sent them the email with the the WhatsApp, right? I like, text them. I now I can't remember. I, 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 anyway, next thing I know, they because they had my phone number. Um, next thing I know, uh, I get a text and it was like, "Hola, amigo," and I was like, "Whoa!" And I looked down and it had the, the country code for Colombia, and it was like this moment of just like, "I can't believe," it. and it was it was uh, Popeye, and it was uh, him directly, not an assistant, not an assistant. Not a, it was him directly. And yikes! It took like we went back and forth a little bit, and uh, I I think I also think I used like a fake name, and like uh, I don't think I used my real. I think I used like a a handle or something. Because I was like, oh boy, <laughs> like you never know. Like, uh, did he say it's me, Papa? Or how did you figure out it was him? Uh, I just figured out it was him because it was the next thing I got was this like text message on WhatsApp from what was him. I mean, like, because uh, the other guy that I had been communicating with the other. It was just on an email, and then it was like once once I sent them back the uh, the money. The well, I sent the money, but once I sent the code, so that they knew that it was real, because that's I, the, the, on the other side. They go to the Western Union office, and they, yeah, yeah, yeah. they have the code. They pick up the money. Then that was real. Boom. <laughs> Next thing I knew, text message. I was like, "Wow, this is crazy." So I I uh, I said I said, uh, "Hey," uh, he asked me like, you know, I want to write a dedication for you. There was um. We went back and forth about this, and uh, I said, "I, you know, I, he asked me, what are your hopes and dreams?'" It was like, <laughs> at first, I was, I didn't understand it, and I was like, "Why is he asking me about this?" It was he texting in Spanish? Yeah, yeah. Now, yeah. I, my Spanish is it's okay decent. Okay enough. I can get by. I can travel in in a Spanish speaking country and have no issue, um, not have any issues. But but um, you know, and on and on text, it's easy, really easy. 
You can do a Google Translate. <laughs> I, I didn't even do that. I, I, you know, I think I did actually. I did a Google Translate just because I want to make sure. Like, uh, I was, I was doubting my own self. I want to make sure I understood. But, I can tell when you're doing Google Translate. Sometimes Jonathan Google translates oh, me in yeah, Vietnamese. That's right. I do. I see. And I'm, and I'm like, this is, this is not correct, Jonathan. You just said you wanted to bite my head or something. Oh, seriously? Really? You sent a couple weird ones, and I'm like, what is? Jonathan no, I don't mean that. But I was literally, I was trying to say something like, um, I want bun bo hui. Like, I'm literally trying to be like, oh, wouldn't today be a good day for soup? And I didn't realize, I said, I like, I want to hit you in the head. Um, I You said something really weird one time, and I was like, I had to Google Translate it to figure out what you were oh trying God, to say. Oh, my God, that's terrible. <laughs> you know, I do that in, uh, I sent, I, there's another friend of mine who I comment on their Instagram page, only in Farsi. And uh, they're just like, they, they've never said anything to me about it. It's the weirdest It's thing. really hard. My hubby, Andrew, he's, he was taking Vietnamese classes for over two years, and he was still just talking basic Viet. Wait, let me, let me, let me say something. And you know this, because I went to Vietnam several years ago, and actually Rosie was very helpful because, <laughs> you know, I was like, oh, I don't need, I'm not going to a travel agency or anything. I'm booking it myself. And I was like reaching out to people. And like, the problem was I'm reaching out to like Vietnamese people who don't speak any English. And I'm like, okay. Uh, or they, they say... A lot of the Vietnamese travel agents say full English, but then the English is like, yeah, it doesn't even make sense. And, and, and I'll, I'll never forget this too because <laughs> I put Rosie on the phone with this lady. I think her name was Tina. God, I can't believe I remember that. And and then Rosie was like looking at me, and and she's, I'm like, what? And she's like, I don't understand because her accent. She's from the north. She was from Hanoi. Yeah. And the accent from the north to the south is incredibly different. It's very different. Yeah. So, but but like, but you were helpful though because I did get my boat. It's I, so funny because she was trying to charge you like I remember exactly. Yeah. She was trying to charge you six thousand dollars for this yeah. junket and then it, and it was so funny because he had Jonathan had her on speakerphone and she was yelling at him in broken English and then I got on the phone and started speaking Viet and even though my accent is from the south because my parents are from you know my mom's from the south and that's how I learned how to speak Vietnamese she was like so shocked she's like oh my god She's like, where did you find a Vietnamese person? Yeah, that, that was pretty good, actually, on my part. She, she just knew, like, you know, and I kept to tell her not to screw around. Like, you know. So, yeah, and it worked I out. I think you got a discount on the junk, the, the junk I did, thing. yeah. I, it, was a, it, was a, it was a junk boat is what I wanted in mm -hmm. Ha Long Bay, which is the most incredible, gorgeous. You've never been there, have you? I haven't. You need to go there. I know. We, we keep trying to go, but my mom's like, I want, she doesn't want us to go because she wants to go with the whole family. But Andrew and I are They're willing to go the north? We're probably going to, well, my dad, um, I don't want to get too much of me because I want to talk about your amazing podcast, but my dad has been back twice and both times he's like petrified that he's going to get kidnapped because one of his friends yeah, has gotten kidnapped and he, he's still like on a list. But I love Rosie's dad. <laughs> I hung out with him at, at her wedding and uh, he's like, he's a guy who you look at, he's so sweet, he's so nice, but you scratch deep enough, there's, there's a lot under the surface there. I remember I was at, I didn't even know anything. I, I just remember when I was a little girl, I found like a machine gun in his really? closet. I yeah. found like a machine gun. But I remember I was talking to my uncle, who I don't talk to that much because he lives in Texas, and he was visiting. And um, it was Thanksgiving, and he was like, well, you know about your dad during the war, right? And me and my sisters were like, what are you talking about? Because my dad doesn't talk about it at all. Yeah. And he basically told us that my dad did torture. And we're like, oh, well, that explains my childhood. Wait, he did torture or was tortured? <laughs> no, he, he was... He tortured so, uh, nor, uh, North, Vietnamese. North Vietnamese soldiers for the South Vietnamese Army. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. He was an interrogator. I wouldn't call he him was... torture. That's not a good. <laughs> an interrogator is a better, more. You that know, explains kind of... the waterboarding when I got a CO yeah. test. <laughs> Have you ever done him on your podcast? Interviewed him on your podcast? I haven't. He absolutely won't talk about it. My mom doesn't want to talk about the war. I, tr I tried to ask her about it How brief old is he? briefly, and she burst into tears. He's 78. Okay. I'm, I'm not I kidding. honestly, you have to get him. To honestly, do it. I wish that he. Um, so I saw the PBS um, Vietnam I, War. I, I think I, I yeah. honestly wish they would have interviewed him because I I saw the entire series and some of the guys were great on there, but my dad, I know he has way better intel. How do you and get stories. him to do it? You got to get him to do this. He just won't. He just doesn't want to talk about anything. It's hard getting a person who was interrogator to convince them <laughs> to talk. I get that. <laughs> But you're gonna have to. I'm not kidding. Because no, I've tried to. You because should, like, I want to write a book or something about his his information. My parents they don't want to talk about anything. They like refuse to talk about it. He's in good health, right? He's okay. He's okay. You, we'll see. Well, I mean, you know, God willing, he's gonna live a long time or anything. But I just think getting up there in age as he, as he approaches eighty, he should do yeah. this. It's so important. Not just like in all honesty, not not like as a. It, I had I had 
had someone from PBS contact me because they wanted to do a story about Vietnamese refugees and they were going to New Orleans. I set him up with the interview and he canceled last minute. He's like, have I you, don't want to talk but, about but it. But have you ever like, I'm, I'm curious, have you ever sat down seriously with him? And like not like kidding around or just like, hey, you want to do the podcast? Like for real, like you have to do that. I've sat down with him seriously and just tried to get him to just talk to me off the air. And he like refuses to talk about it. Did you ask him why? I just think they don't want to bring up the past. They don't want to talk about it. My my mom, I had one conversation with her in my entire life about it. And she burst into tears and like wouldn't yeah, say Yeah, it's fascinating because I, I can tell you from my own experience in Vietnam when I was there, the thing that the theme, you know, when you travel places, certain themes stick in your head. Uh, Colombia, the theme is forgiveness, which is a whole other thing. <laughs> Not that that's a loaded <laughs> statement, but 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 with Vietnam, it was fast forward. Fast forward. That like the that's whole the vibe, yeah. The whole country is not looking back. They're moving forward. They're they're everything. It's so it's at a breakneck pace. This country goes forward at light speed and just doesn't look back. I don't even you know, you talk to younger generation, they're not really the Vietnam War to them is just this kind of sort of thing. Well, I was that, gonna say, even my brother my brother goes every year <clears throat> for a month. Every single year. And he he is like, nobody wants to talk about it. Nobody wants to think about it. It's over. It's in the past. It's done. You you have to get him to do it. Honestly. Like, I I, I mean, the, the one thing that I would try to convince him of is say, look, uh, this is this is not just for the family, but for, like, a lot of people in Vietnam. This is important. There are so many people that don't, I mean, like... This is a, a completely a side thing, but for some reason, people that have interesting stuff to say, it's so hard. Like, I've been trying to get Yoshi to talk. But about- by the way, what, what you just said, people who have interesting stuff to say, it's hard to get, it's hard to get them to talk about it. Uh, uh, that is so accurate and so it's true. So true and so applicable when you think about a guy like Popeye who won't stop talking. <laughs> You know, is it the opposite? Is it like he has so much to say and it's a lot of nothing? I'm not saying he's saying a lot of nothing. That's not what I'm saying. But it's it's a very interesting thing. And I, I, a lot of people that are interesting don't think they're interesting, though. Right. They, they're just like, well, this is who I am. This is my life or whatever. But I want to circle back. Wait, wait, I, wait, wait. One, one more thing okay. about that. But no, no, because I think it's important. The, the, thing, the thing that I was going to say is um, there was an expression uh, that uh, you – I'm sure this is not that original me saying it, but is uh, those who do not learn history are bound to repeat it. And that's the thing that your dad has to understand. The, the, ironically, this show, uh, bringing it back to this, the, the one called El Patron del Mal, the, the show about Pablo Escobar, the very first thing in every episode says, um, it's, it's, um, it says, uh, those who do not learn history are bound to repeat it. It's the first thing you see. And like with going back to Colombia, with a guy like Popeye, it's, um, yeah, that's, that is a very accurate statement. And you do have to know. Um, I didn't want to go there. there. There was a couple of things, though. I so when I finally agreed to it, yeah. So I, I was saying you're te- you're texting back and forth. We got totally yeah, sidetracked. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> you're texting back and forth, and then what? What's next? So we texted back and forth. It was funny. The first few texts back and forth were just like, "Oh, great, you know, blah blah blah. Give me a few days, you know, whatever." And then he's gonna send it to me via DHL. I'm like, "Okay, cool." Um, still, I th- there is something interesting. I didn't know. If it exactly was I was I really talking to Popeye? There was still a, in the back of my mind, like I had a, like a I'd say an eighty five percent, you know, sh- like you know I was like for sure speaking eighty five percent I was speaking to Popeye. Fifteen was still like maybe yeah, I'm not. assistant. Well, who knows exactly? <laughs> so then uh, several days later, he sends me a text with pictures, and it's him holding up the book with my inscription in it. So. At that point, I went, oh, wow. Like, I, it really is. I'm like 100% I'm, I'm talking to Pablo. So and he was very nice. And I, you know, we, we, I mean, it was very, you know, going back and forth, very easy. And um, so, like, he said he was going to send it to me. I got the books uh, several days later, maybe like a week later. It came by DHL. And, and then I was like, all right, I'm going to reach back out to him. So I reach out to him, and I, I, I prepared this text saying, hey, look, I'm going to record this podcast. I would love to do this with you. Um, you know, would you be open to it? Blah, 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 blah. And he sends me uh, – I don't hear anything back. I don't hear anything back. I'm like, damn. I, I scared him off. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm, I'm going to let it sit. I'm thinking, okay. Then uh, I sent him a text like two weeks later – or weekly week, week later, sorry. Uh, I sent him a text like, hey, just checking to see if you got my message, like, you know, whatever. Nothing. I'm like, damn. Then I was like, all right, maybe this is just that. I was on a plane going to New York. 
And I was sitting there, you know, they have Wi-Fi on the plane, so I'm just like, oh, what the heck. I, I reached out, uh, another text message on WhatsApp, and like immediately response back like, claro que sí, amigo, cuando desean venir. Like, you know, uh, when, when he, yes, of course, when do you want to come? I was like, wow. <laughs> uh, okay. So then I said, Popeye, this is great news. I will uh, get back to you with some dates. So then I, I... Do you think he was vetting you, maybe like doing some, some back, you know, road research on no. Jonathan Branstein? No. I mean, it, maybe he checked me out on the internet. Maybe. What was the what was the qui- the quietness for for several weeks? I think that he's a guy who who's getting a ton of text messages from people. Got he it. was he was he was he was starting to really pick. Well, simultaneously, a couple things were happening at the same time. That, but also his now. So Caracol, uh, I said, optioned his his book and turned it into a TV series. And that TV series is called Surviving Escobar, alias JJ. In Spanish, it's uh, Sobreviviendo Escobar, alias Jota Jota. Uh, <laughs> and um, it's in Spanish, but it's translated. And, uh, you know, Narcos had been out. The, the, the third season of Narcos had been released. And it was like, you know, as this Narcos, you know, they, they put it all up at once. So it had been out for a little while now. And then as I think they looked at it as like the collective people watching uh, I, don't, I don't know how they came to the decision, but like it was around August of 2017. They announced uh, coming, you know, like if you were, if you, when you finished Narcos, all of a sudden the next thing that was coming up on the screen was the the trailer. Like, you know how they, they, they do because you yeah, like Yeah, they're this. trying to get you to like binge watch something And it was else, like right? Surviving Escobar, and they got a lot of people to watch it. And and the series is, that series is 69 episodes. As I said, it's, um, it only takes place in prison, though. It's only about uh, Popeye in prison. Because, you know, when he got the and, – and it's weird. Like, I'm going to say it's a strange series because that's a lot of episodes. And 69 gr- is a lot of episodes. And he spent 23 years in prison, so he did spend a lot of time in prison. It, it was main, the, the main crux of it is he's – you know, when he got to jail, he was Pablo Escobar's guy. People knew who he was. He, first, he was in jail in uh, Medellin uh, where, where he, he turned himself in. Um, and he, this was in 1992. He turned himself in. They put him in jail in Medellin, and it's like he gets there and it's like a party. They all know him, you know. Hey, hey, Popeye, because Medellin's his hometown. But then, but then they transferred him, and they transferred him to Bogota, uh, to this jail outside of Bogota. Um, uh, I believe it was La Picota Prison, and they they put him there. And it was like everything after that. He had been transferred a number of times, but when he got there, it was a whole different game, and he had to survive to stay alive because a lot of people wanted him killed. And he had to uh, pay a lot of money inside jail to make friends. Like, in jail in Colombia is different. Um, like you know how here if you go to jail, like you're pretty much guaranteed to sell. You know, like you have a bed and a whatever. In Colombia, you don't. Um, you go to jail and you're like your bunk or whatever, and none of that is guaranteed. It's like op- it's like open lockup. No, it's not open lockup. It's just they don't give you. They don't, you're not assigned that. If you want that, you have to pay. You have to fight for it. No, not fight for it. You have to pay, literally. <laughs> okay. I mean, I suppose if you fight for it, that would mean you'd be going to war with a, a whole faction. But yeah, yeah. So like, you know, so so he. Uh, so there's corruption even in jail. Oh, you gotta, huge. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta pay your way, right? Huge. And 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 in jail, there's three groups. There's the narco traffickers, the paramilitaries, and the guerrillas. And they're all fighting each other for control of the jail. And it's like, and he's in the middle of all of it. And it, and the show goes like 69 episodes about this. And I, I'll say this. At one point, I went, okay. Because at one point in the uh, series, I, I, I mean, okay, I'm going to say something right now. This is a spoiler alert. Spoiler, <laughs> spoiler alert. alert. Spoiler if alert. If you don't like, if you if you want to watch the whole series, all 69 episodes, then just turn this off what I'm going to say for the next 30 <laughs> seconds and then come back. Is, okay, they give everybody a chance to turn it off? Good. So basically, by like towards the end, the DEA is implanting a chip in his brain. Okay. That, okay, that's what I mean. Like, like this. I mean, it's not huge spoiler alert, but okay, you can come back now. But, but that's like that's that's sort of it. It got kind of crazy. And so you don't think that the whole series is based on real life? There's a basis of it, and then there's there's a fantasy part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Hollywood it, part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just it just gets like you know, please. But one thing that I think happens as narratives develop, you know, p- most people, I don't think watch all sixty nine episodes mm-hmm. um, because it's, it's a repetitive. 
Well, and it's also long. It's a lot of commitments. Imagine 69 hours of your life. Now, I'm... I'm... That's, that's almost... It. So most shows are, what, 10 episodes? So that's like a six-year, six six-season yeah. yeah. series. Exactly. Yeah. And so, like, you know... Um, it was, you gotta really be into narco culture. You gotta be really, and really but, into Popeye. But, yeah, exactly. So, so <laughs> Popeye, uh, he comes out, and and now the series is on. The series is on TV. I'm like, all of these things were happening. And to answer your question, sorry, I'm I'm trying to remember why. I I, I know I go on. It had a lot to do with the fact that um, he was busy. He had a lot of things going on. His profile was rising, though, and his Instagram. And he was getting more and more vocal on Instagram. Sorry, uh, Twitter uh, and Instagram as well, but mostly mostly Twitter. He was literally, like, you know, getting into fight. He became very political. Like, he's very right-wing. Um, in Colombia, you have this guerrilla movement called the FARC, which has been, you know, fighting for 50 years. In January of uh, – sorry, in – was it January of 2017? They made a deal with the FARC to end the the war that had been going on, which is very controversial. I'm not taking sides on this one. It's 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 a uh, no. I mean because You're it's, like, I'm not gonna say it's. I, I don't know enough, frankly, to to talk to to get into that. But Pompeii is very much against the FARC and the guerrillas, and so the a lot of his followers tend to be kind of very right wing, very you know. Um, he's he's uh, he's incredibly vocal. He's incredibly uh, he loves talking about the cartel. He loves talking about the days of the Medellin cartel. And th- this is there's a, there's a couple things. There's there's a, uh, a strange thing here because in this country, like right now, for example, where you have the Me Too movement and people who are uh, get outed, if you will, or, or uh, you know, I don't know what the right word uh, brought to justice, whatever. Um, they're um, getting kind of convicted in this... Uh, the court of public opinion. Court of public opinion yeah. and everything, as well as possibly legal, too. Um, you know, and in a lot of cases, I can't say all of them, but in a lot of cases, good, you know? I mean, it's... it's. Uh, uh, I mean, they, they caused a lot of pain and hurt to people. In Colombia, it's very weird because you have a guy who was part of an evil machine... And 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 has such has victims, many victims still alive today, and and the you know the relatives and the cousins and the sons, daughters, mothers, whatever, of all the victims, and and they have to live with this. And here's this guy who's out of jail now, and he's loud. He's on TV. He's on. He's, he's kind of like a, a big celeb over there. Yes, he is a celeb. That would that is accurate. Um, people do ask to take pictures of him in the street. Um, they take selfies, and that goes also goes to the whole thing of narco culture, which um, in Medellin, one of the things that's really popular right now, and we, we talk about this in the podcast also, is narco tourism is a really big thing. Um, the, and so you got all these people now because of narcos and other shows, they're coming there to like take tours, and and um, it's it's. You know, it, it's they're kind of like, like because it was in the past and maybe over twenty years ago. It's like there's this weird sort of, you know, they don't they don't kind of look at it and go, oh man, um, we need to be really sensitive about this. No, they're like psyched to go there and <laughs> you know stand in front of Pablo Escobar's old apartment building and like yeah, Medellin. There was a there was an English guy. I totally understand this by the way because this was happened less than five years after Hurricane Katrina. You know, I'm from New Orleans. They have these tours where people go look at the devastation. Seriously? Yes. And obviously, that's very, very. Um, I mean, I, I, that's interesting. insensitive to people who lived through it and had to deal with it and other things like that. So oh. I totally get what you're saying. There's always someone out there to make a buck and maybe not, you know like you said, sensitive to what's going on. So there's people that, what you're saying is there's people that are still victims to that cartel, but now there's I mean, this let me, let, me, let me give you one statistic. In 1980, murder rate in Medellin was around 750. Mm-hmm. By 1990, it was 7,825. Let me put that into perspective for some of the listeners. Um, the murder capital of the U.S. is usually either... Chicago, it, it alternates between Chicago, Southside, D.C., and New Orleans, and that murder rate is 200 a year. No, it's more than that, isn't it? It's two, two to 500 as the high. A year? A year. Wow. So that is a very high, 7,000 is very, very high. It, it, to give you an idea, if you combine that, again, I, I feel weird because a lot of this stuff is in the podcast. Please listen to the podcast, though, because you get it into more of a story. <laughs> but um, I, I will say this, the... the uh, 
to put it in perspective, when you combined the rest of the murders in Colombia that year, which I think was an additional 3,000. Oh, my gosh. Okay. That's so you're talking about 10,000. What it translates to is a murder every 24 minutes. Oh, my and, gosh. And, you know, this is also 1990. So keep, keep that in mind. Like, I think when you hear these numbers, you're not – we become kind of – uh, desensitized to murder numbers and things like that, um, but you, you, it's it was it was it was a center of urban violence like nobody had ever seen, and everything that I had heard about Medellin prior to the the, the narco war, if you will, what was this beautiful city. It, well, f- let me say one thing: Medellin is a gorgeous city. I recommend everybody go there. I'm, I'm not kidding when I say that. It is. You know, go there for good reasons. Go there to look at look at the Botero Museum. Go there to check out the incredible uh, mountains uh, just outside the city. It's it's like a major metropolitan city, but in the mountains with incredible views. The people are super smart and cool and chic, and it's it's just uh, it's 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 becoming a big tech center in Colombia. Well, let, let's talk about you going there. Let's talk about you going there. Um, because we are limited on time. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's yeah. okay. That's okay. We are limited on time. And I do want to talk about, you know, some of this before before we have to head out. Um, so you, you're on the plane. You get the text back and forth, you know, texting with a picture of him in the book. And what you, you just buy your ticket and go? I mean, were you just t- screaming inside like, oh, my God, I'm talking to Popeye? And what? There's there's a there's a couple of things I I, I I was a little bit but I didn't have time to do that because I thought I I'm, I'm not going to let this opportunity pass. So you just bought your ticket. I I don't think it was the first thing I did. The first thing I did was like I got to get somebody to translate. <laughs> I reached out to a friend of mine ironically who is a Cuban person um living in Havana who uh, a friend of mine who works in film production. I wanted her to do it. She wanted to do it. She couldn't do it. And then literally I I found out she couldn't go like like 2 days before I was going. And then, fortunately, a friend of mine who I talk about in the podcast, a guy named Esteban Orozco, who's also a, uh, inv- involved in our podcast, um, he, uh, he's from Medellin. He hooked me up with somebody who, through that person, I got, you know, I finally found somebody. But, but it was like, it was, it was more of like, okay, uh, here I am going to record a podcast by myself. Like, you know, I had to do a crash course in a couple of these things. Like, how do I work this recorder? Uh, what about the mics? Uh, Ernie, uh, Ernie Hurtado, our, our, one of our executive producers, and uh, uh, who I am partnered with in all these podcasts, um, uh, in our, our our podcast studio, we we he gave me like a crash course um, on a lot of the stuff technically was, but I, the thing. So was, you didn't take a crew with you. No. You went Jonathan Branstein by yourself to the middle of the cartel country. Yeah. To meet with a former assassin. I mean, think about that. Yeah. It, <laughs> It it wasn't. It wasn't an a, assassin of over three hundred people. Yeah, you want to know the funny? There was, and I again, some of this in the podcast. Please, just because I'm saying it here, please go and it's, <laughs> it's all you know. I, I there was at one point I remember getting dressed in the hotel, and I was like, oh, what do I wear? I was like trying on outfits, and I'm like, what do you wear to meet this guy? Like, you know, I'm just like, all right, wait a minute, like stop worrying about that. I, you know, because I was nervous. Um, you have a family. You have a beautiful wife. You have, you know, a brother and 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 a mother. What were these people like, Jonathan? What are you doing, or did you not tell anyone? No, I, t- I, um, I, I told them. They knew. I mean, uh, I think my mom. I just told her I was going to Columbia, and uh, it's for a podcast. I don't think I went into detail about who or what, um, just because the stress of it. I, you know, in all honesty, I wasn't worried. I, I like, I wasn't, um, and I'm. I don't want to sound naive either. I, I wasn't that worried about it. I didn't think. I thought, look, you know, I, I haven't done anything. Uh, you know, like 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 one thing I was thinking about was, and I remember said this to somebody, look, I'm not in a business deal with the guy. I'm not in some kind of uh, <laughs> transaction. His boss didn't say you have to kill this guy. Like like there's not, you know none of that. He's been out of jail. Last thing this guy wants to do is screw up. So I thought, you know, he's done interviews. I've seen him on interviews. I mean, I haven't heard about those people getting killed. So I thought. Look, you know, let's just. I did check in with him right before I bought the ticket. All this stuff, like we'd agreed on a date, and then I remember texting him like the day before I left. I texted him from Miami when I was there, you know, changing planes, um, and then I texted him when I got in Medellin. And and you know, in that respect, he was uh, completely um, responsive to every text, everything. Like, and he was more than uh, on time and and very. Uh, polite um it's a weird thing this was weird it, he was at times like if you didn't know who this guy was if you if you didn't know about him 
think, you know, he's a good guy. He's a nice guy. Like, I, I'm, I'm, I mean, because of his personality, he's very outgoing. He's he's affable. He's he's at times jokes around. He you know he was more than willing to answer questions. But you know, I'll, I'll say this: this is an important thing. And I you know, so when I got back, I was trying to figure out what to do with the podcast, and. I still, I, I just didn't have any idea. I was trying to, I was decompressing. You know, I was like, wow, it was an intense trip. And a couple weeks later, uh, something happened. There was a party in Medellin, a birthday party, outside Medellin, in a, in a small town called El Peñol. It's about an hour outside of Medellin. And the Colombian Special Forces executed an operation called Operation Omega, where they raided this birthday party. And the birthday party uh, was, uh, the guest of honor at the birthday party was uh, this guy called Juan Carlos Mesa, who was um, the head of what's called the office. Um, for one brief history, a little, uh, 30 seconds of brief history, after the Medellin cartel collapsed, in fact, the Cali cartel collapsed, th those, those guys who worked in that world of narco-trafficking, they didn't go away. I mean, it still stayed there. And the remnants of what was a lot of members of the... Um, a Medellin cartel had formed another crime organization, uh, which today is called La Oficina de Envigado or the Envigado Office. Um, people just call it the office. And the guy who was the head of the office was this guy called Juan Carlos Mesa. He's a, a, a very wanted criminal. He was, he's, he's on the list to be extradited to the United States. So the Colombian government uh, conducts this, uh, Colombian Special Forces raids this party to capture him. And they, they, they're there with like helicopters, tanks, the whole thing. I mean, it's a big operation. And they come in and they, they, they capture him. They get everybody, you know, they make every, they detain everybody. Well, who was at the birthday party? Popeye? Yep. <laughs> and so I was like, what? Now, to put that in context, like, I mean, one of the last things he had said to me was like talking about how, you know, he, he, people are happy for him that he's trying to make something in his life. He wants to, you know, uh, do good in the world and all this other stuff. And like, it, it was a very, uh, you know, it sounded like a good uh, uh, thing to say. I mean, uh, you know, uh, but it was, you know, again, you, you have to take these things. And, of course, the minute I heard this news, I was like, wait a second. And the biggest thing about it was, you know, the conditions of his parole. Okay, because he was, he was let out of prison after 23 years. His sentence was 26 years, I think. So he was let out three years earlier. Or no, 20. The sentence was 30 years. And he was released after 23 they, because of the testifying for the – so I don't know. The conditions of his release, though, were not that all that different from when, some, when, a, when a, a felon gets released from jail here. Um, you can, one of the conditions are you Don't can't, be a criminal. <laughs> no, no, that's don't be a criminal. You can't fraternize with known criminals. It's like, look, the Colombians aren't going to go you – know, if, if he's walking down the street and he sees a guy he knew from whatever – Okay, they're not going to throw him, you know. That's, but he's at the birthday party but, of this but, yeah. huge cartel. You're at the birthday leader. party of the most wanted guy in Colombia, the most wanted narco. Wait a second. So that was this, like, thing that I just said, well, let's not finish the story. Let's not even figure out. Let's let's see where this goes. Because I was like, where is this going to go? Like, is he going to go back to jail? Like, I, I literally was freaking out. So the first half of the podcast is – this, uh, you know, like the first, I think it's like 11 episodes is like you hear Popeye, you hear other people, right? Um, <laughs> you, 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 you have all this stuff. But then what, where it goes is um, the second half is kind of where after I've come back to L.A. and that's where it takes us. And it's, it's kind of interesting where it takes us. Yeah. I why, mean, I think it's interesting. Why is the theme of Columbia forgiveness? Well, you had a war that um, where roughly okay 55,000 people were killed in the war of Pablo Escobar um i mean the, the numbers vary but it it was this a lot this is a drug war but but you, let, let me say this is one of the things about colombia and i but let me be really clear about something i'm, I'm saying not, it's not an official official quote unquote correct but, but let me let me just say something i'm not a i'm not a colombia expert i'm far from it I don't profess to be one, but I, I learned a few things about Colombia, and I'm still learning about Colombia. But the one thing I do, I, I can say, it's so much more complicated than just thinking of it as a drug war. Because you have the um, uh, uh, the guerrillas, you know, and then you have the paramilitaries. There's something in Colombia that's really important to understand. And this goes back to even before Pablo Escobar. Colombia has one of the highest inequalities in the Western Hemisphere. 
it is uh, of rich to poor. I mean, it's it's there are like 98 percent of the country is at really bad poverty. And then 2% is living, you know, uh, the, the, Extreme it's wealth. a huge yeah. disparity. There is, a, you know, that said, there are what looks like middle class and things like that that, that have risen up. But, but it's, again, the problem when you look at it as a macro thing, it's still there. And that is the root cause of so many of the other problems, including the narcos, including the guerrillas and the paramilitaries. Because people are so poor and they need money, right? Yeah, that's one of I mean, that's, it's, if you really want to get technical, it goes back to, uh, all the way when Spain colonized it um, and the systems that were left in place. And, you know, Colombia was a country that was owned by uh, the Spanish. And then when they left, there were these landowners. And they, they were the people that ruled the country. You know, yes, they had a government and all that. But, like, when, when you have a landowner who owns huge amounts of land, he basically would create his own, like, basically security forces and set the law of that region himself. And that is the, the the roots of Colombia, and that is where it goes all the way back to. And it's hard to just say, oh, yeah, it's because of the drug wars. It's, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a much more complicated problem. As uh, Like every country? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Like yeah, right yeah. here in America? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's, uh, I mean, it's, um, it's the one thing, uh, I'll say this, Narcos and all those other shows, they touch on it a little bit, but it's something that you don't truly grasp from watching those shows, it's if you if you don't know this or haven't done any reading about it, I don't think you're going to quite get that. And um, because just saying, oh, it's a poor country, it's like, yeah, well, yeah, that's just. But let's talk about the the the, the effects of that poverty. And but but why forgiveness? You said forgiveness. Okay, so because of all these wars, because of so so there's been fighting with the FARC for 50 years. There's mm-hmm. the paramilitaries. There's been there there have been massacres. I mean, we're, we're talking there was massacres, you know, just a few years ago. They've always known violence in Colombia. And I don't mean like, you know, you could say that about any country. I mean, literally, the, but they've always known like what is internal struggle war, uh, kidnapping, bombing, uh, you know, narco trafficking. They have always known conflict. That's all they've known. So when the government made this peace agreement with the FARC, you know, they they finally just said after 50 years, enough is enough. And it's very controversial. A lot of people aren't for this. And, you know, because basically they view the park, a lot of the members of the FARC as criminals as people who uh you know they're responsible for for kidnapping and i talked to a woman whose grandfather and uncle were both uh kidnapped and killed by the farc oh my gosh and like you know and she's young she's she's very young this girl she's like you know 22 and and she wasn't even born at the time of pablo Escobar. but it's like you talk to her and and it's like you know I never asked her this, but I know that like she probably looks at that deal as like, wait a second, it's 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 hard. I mean, if somebody killed your family and kidnapped and killed your family, you're gonna forgive these people. You're gonna be so angry at your government. At the same time, when you look at uh, more of the economic issues and those things, and and you have to look at the reasons for the the the, re- the rise of the FARC, all this, it, it's it's. Uh, I mean, like there's a lot of things that happen. Like the FARC, they were been also known to, uh, they've probably kidnapped more people and um, killed more people and also um, uh, dealt more drugs than Pablo Escobar had. You know, I'm talking about over a period of time. I, I don't, you know, again, there's a limit to how much I know about this stuff, but, <laughs> but uh, I, I will tell you that it's been interesting to see that. And so the forgiveness thing comes into play where they're trying very hard to get everybody just to like, you know, it's, it's like Vietnam I mean, in a lot of ways. I don't know if the, the, the North Vietnamese have forgiven the South Vietnamese, South Vietnamese forgiven the North, but it's like in certain countries you just have to move forward. So they're trying. It's hard. And forgiveness is the biggest theme because I, you know, it's it, like it's so hard to get your head around a guy like Popeye being out and like in the street taking selfies with people <laughs> when he's done what he's done. And you just yeah. like and some of the people were surprising that I talked to because they were. I thought would be more like angry and pissed off. And they were just more like they tried. They had a much more measured approach. Where like, well, I do think it's important that he talks about certain things. And the, but you, you could tell under the surface they're annoyed by it, but they're trying. So it's hard. Forgiveness is a big theme there. It's uh, I went to the Museum of Memories and it's like you just get the sense like, oh, man, this is a tiny piece of this. So it's just the uh, but it applies to uh, I'll say this and I, I know I'm going over. I'm sorry. Rose. Uh, I'll, I'll say it applies to. A, um, I think it's important for not just people who are interested in Colombia. Important is a weird word to say. I, I think it's I think it's relevant, and that is because at the end of this, what I discovered about Popeye and this thing, this is a fight for the narrative, 
this is exactly what it is. It's a fight for the narrative. It is, it is, you know, a guy like Popeye who's now out of jail and he's he's being kind of lionized by many people and and his followers and they're they're always praising him and, t- and he's, he has T-shirts with his picture on it now. And to a lot of guys, that's that's just cool, and that's that's what he wants. That's the narrative that he wants. He doesn't want to be thought of as a murderer, a bad guy, is what you're saying. Oh, I think he doesn't. I didn't. Mind. He he wants to be maybe maybe the murderer, but in a cool way, mm-hmm. right? So he's he, like Pablo Escobar thought of. He he wants to be like an icon, a story, right? There's a, there's a restaurant. A friend of mine was in uh, Malta, which is a tiny country in Europe, beautiful country. It's near Italy, and he was there, and he went into a bar. He, this guy's Colombian, and he went into a bar. It's called it's called uh, Escobar. <laughs> Okay. And he's like, he goes, Very he, punny. he walks up to the guy and he goes, I have to ask you a question. I'm Colombian. Why did you call your bar Escobar? And the guy was like, well, you know, because it has, the, I think he said, because it has the name bar in it. And it's like, it, it, you know, and, 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 and my cool friend was guy. like, look, would you open a bar here called Hitler's? Yikes. And he's like, no, of course not. He's, it's the same. I mean, like, and he's like, you don't understand. This is like, and that narrative. Is the one that's that's you know amplified all around the world. The one the one about you know the cool cartel guy and you know badass. I asked I yeah. asked somebody in Medellin a question that um, I said, do you look at uh, do you think Pablo Escobar was worse uh, or the same as as Osama bin Laden? And and the reaction stunned me. It was like, well, no, 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 no. And I went, why? And they said to me, well, first of all, no, it's not the same. I go, but it, but if you just think about it, you break it down. Pablo Escobar, you know, he had these legions of, of followers who would do anything for him. That was like Pablo. He was financed. Osama was financed. There, there, yes, Osama was a religious zealot, but, uh, and, and Pablo wasn't so much about the religion, but there was a lot of traits that are similar. There's money. There's drugs. Money, drugs. It, it's, it's just, there's belief systems. Yeah. I mean, and it's, it's like, uh, and this idea that you can just, you know, get away and do this. And I... And they were willing to kill a lot of people. They were both willing to for the greater for their cause, for their own cause. And so I, I just when I said that to them, they kind of it was a it was a weird moment because even for somebody who this is not even a person that is like a a fan of Pablo Escobar, but it was just it, it I think because you know that you think of Osama bin Laden as like the world's biggest terrorist, but um, you know they, they it, it I could tell it kind of well you're saying you're saying that that Escobar's cartel killed about seven thousand a year and Osama bin Laden killed about ten thousand in the World Trade Center yeah so maybe, no well no three thousand three thousand so I think Escobar may have oh a, uh, definitely have a leg up. killed more people I mean you know now you could say Al Qaeda attacks all over the world inspired by responsible that thus being responsible for all these attacks I, you know you compare the numbers who knows what they're going to be but I think that it's just this narrative is so strong in narco culture of you know, like, look, I mean, he's a badass. Yeah, he's, he's a, a badass. Cool Pablo Escobar, yeah. ah, cool man. <laughs> and, I, and I will tell you something, because a friend of mine who is a, uh, a screenwriter, uh, and he was just in Medellin, and like the mayor of Medellin is this guy who's very interesting. He's he hates Popeye with a passion, and he can't stand like what nar- what Netflix has done and Narcos and all that. And one of the things I heard they're trying to do right now is they are trying to. Uh, uh, it's all good. They're trying to. Um, we're looking at the recorder to make sure it's still recording. Um, one of the things that they're trying to do there is actually create a t- their own TV series to kind of answer to Narcos. To be like, this is you know, and it's true. And and one of the things I'll just I'll 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 say one more thing. One of the things uh, one of the people that I interviewed, um, and they actually really helped out with the podcast. I interviewed these people that were involved in something called the Narco Tour Project, and it's the brainchild of this uh, professor who's a journalism professor at a University of Medellin, where he had been so disgusted by all the like narco tourism and stuff, he wanted to create his own po- a virtual, like an online portal of uh, y- you know Medellin and all the narco sites, and tell the B side of the story by telling the stories of the victims, and that is like I think really powerful because you know like you you know again people want to go to the the Monaco Tower and and take a picture of there this is where Pablo lived and it's where the Cali cartel had a bomb there well yeah but you know but how about the other people that were killed there like that were just there like you know those kind of things I've heard some heartbreaking stories you know girls being forced as girlfriends into the cartel you know just because they're walking down the street you know, raped in front of their husbands and boyfriends, things like that. So it's definitely um, two sides to every story. 
Jonathan, what an amazing and interesting story. If you guys are interested in Jonathan's interview with Popeye, you can check out his podcast, The Sicario Effect. And where can they find the podcast? It's everywhere. It's iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, uh, Google Play. <laughs> um, you can go to our website, www.thesicarioeffect.com. Don't forget the. <laughs> or our Instagram, which is thesicarioeffect.com. And our Twitter is just Sicario Effect. There's no the in it. SicarioEffect.com. But um, I, you know, it's uh, it was interesting doing this. Um, I I think we tried putting it in an entertaining way. I hope we'll, we'll see. I mean, uh, but so far as you know, thank you. And it's a serial style, style podcast where you're interviewing him and telling the story. And yeah, we like tell that. a lot of stories. It's we, episodic, we just... 11 episodes. No, it's 20. 12. Oh, I thought you said 20. Okay. No, at episode 11, <laughs> it takes a turn. Okay. That's why, you know, I, I don't want to give too much away, but I, you know, there's... there's. Well, definitely, this yeah. was a very interesting podcast, so you guys check it out. And do me a huge favor. If you go on the Sicario Effect and listen to it, go ahead and leave Jonathan a message that you heard about it on Out of the Box Podcast. Guys, go on my Twitter. As always, I'm at Funny Rosie and Out of the Box Rosie on Instagram. If you like the podcast, please go on iTunes and leave a positive comment. Positive comments. Wait, are, I can't tell you how much that helps. I've learned this. <laughs> it, it, you know, seriously, just do it. It's like 30 seconds. 30 out of seconds. Day. Leave a positive comment. You don't know, like, because, like, uh, if you're obsessive like me, where I'm sitting there refreshing, <laughs> refreshing, refreshing. Oh my God. Like, you know. Just leave a nice comment. Leave a positive comment. If you hated the podcast, that's fine. Go ahead and leave a negative comment because comments are the way that the podcast gets found by other people. And as but always- still give it five stars. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> this has been Out of the Box Podcast with Rosie Tran.